Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, welcome to another new episode of Dying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and we are back at it once again with another new episode. And continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, we are now at the 13th chapter. So we are moving right along, but we are still indeed taking our time. Uh, Today's focus is going to be on parables, and we're going to look at the parable of the sower, uh, we may not get to the explanation, or we might kind of do this um, in two parts. I don't know yet. I just kind of uh, building it out, I guess, as the show progresses. So I want to really focus on these first nine verses, but then from 18 to 23, we might consider as well today. And then next week, we come back to 10 through 15. The only reason that is, is to split that and kind of move it around is because the parable of the sower is explained after the purposes of the parable. So I guess it depends on how I kind of weed my mind through this. We might just uh, do the sower and then explain it. And then next week we'll do the purpose of the parables. And we'll talk a little bit about why Jesus teaches in that fashion. So without further ado, let us get into the material at hand and look at verse 1, chapter 13. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and the great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprung up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. And the other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. 
he who has ears, let him hear. So this is kind of the you know opening of a series of parables that Jesus is going to give us. And we'll talk about why he teaches in parables. But I think that's what we'll do next week. And so we'll kind of uh, truncate this a little bit here. Uh, and we'll probably have to do this on a few of these passages just because I think it's crucial for us to really focus on the sower and its explanation that Jesus gives here in a moment. And so let us read verses 18 through 23, and then we'll talk through it. But our major focus will be on the explanation because it's going to give us more realization into the actual parable itself. So let's look at verse 18 here. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures for a little while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for the, uh, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares for the world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for the one that was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. So I had the privilege of preaching a sermon a few weeks ago on this particular parable. And, and I love this parable because I think it really uh, speaks a lot to the Christian life and really some of the dilemmas that we face as Christians. And uh, this is a great parable, in my, in my opinion, that uses uh, kind of a full spectrum of the church and it gives us this big uh, view of how the lives of the parishioners may come and go. This is also a verse that we as Lutherans and many other views uh, in the Protestant movement, Anglican I believe does this and maybe some Presbyterians, but many in the Protestant movement would use this verse to assert that somebody could walk away from their faith. They uh, are not rooted deep and when tribulation comes, they fall away. There are obviously many in the Protestant movement, especially in the Calvinist and Reformed movements, that would reject the notion that somebody could fall away. Once saved, always saved. And there's an interesting connection here because the parable gives us a, is explained to us. And in that explanation, it explicitly states what happens to a person when they're not rooted in God's word. And so the Reformed would like to argue that this verse, uh, primarily looking at verses 20 through 22, uh, this is the ones, uh, and, well, both of these cases, more so verses 20 through 21, uh, are is directed towards a person who was never saved to begin with. And I find that to be very um, not helpful if you would, to the overall complexity of the situation. 
to assert that somebody had had belief in Jesus but didn't have salvation and then no longer believes and then assert that they were never saved is 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 really a rough area to be in in my opinion being a pastor and being in this environment for uh, a handful of years now I've I've led this church for almost 3 years and I've been preaching for about 5 I've had this podcast since 2019 so I'm on uh, like year four with the podcast, year three, something like that. Um, well, in 2024, in February, it'll be four years. So, hey, been doing this for a few years. I'm not as seasoned as many, but I know when I look at this parable, it it gives a perfect demonstration, a perfect representation of what the life of a Christian is going to be like. And I think, like I said, sometimes we try to get lost in the weeds and we would try to use our um, presuppositional positions to read into this text. And so what I'm asking you to do is to take everything that you think you know and set it aside for a moment and just listen to the parable and listen to what it is stating Let's look at verses 20 and 21 again, and we'll dig into the rest of it, but I really just want to kind of primarily hit this point home here. Jesus says this, As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. So right there, this person heard the gospel and receives the gospel with joy. They are astonished. They are excited and and they are in love with this gospel. Yet he has no root in himself and he will endure for a little while. But when tribulation and persecution arise on account of the word, immediately he falls away. And so this is a great demonstration of what happens in the church throughout the time. And by time, I mean the last 2,000 years. We have people who will rise up in the church. They will do great things for the church. They will participate in all of these, uh, you know, mission outreaches and all of these different functions that the church needs. But when the church becomes persecuted or their faith becomes questioned, they fall away from it and they renounce it. So my question to you is, was that person genuinely saved? If they had faith, as Paul tells us, if you make a confession with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and God raised him from the grave, then you shall be saved. Romans 10.9. If you believe that, that verse, then you would assert that the person was saved. But then they leave it. So the doctrine of once saved, always saved is kind of, you know, it falls apart really on this on these two verses here. And what I would like to assert is first, it is not God causing you to fall away. It is not God allowing you to slip from his hand. It has absolutely nothing to do with what God is you know, doing to you in terms of he's not kicking you out. He's not you know, opening the door, oh, you sinned too great, be gone from me. No, you stopped believing. That is the pinnacle peace to all of it. You as the as the former Christian. And I'm and I'm not saying you as a listener, I'm saying the, you know to the to the general person who has walked away from their faith, deconstructed or 
uh, you know, just became an atheist or just stopped believing altogether. You have stopped believing. You have left the faith. Now, whatever God wants to do on his end at the day of salvation is on and up to God. It is solely on his discretion what happens on the day of judgment. So if a person leaves the faith, but then on the day of judgment, because they had faith, they had salvation, would they still be saved? That, again, is, is on the discretion of Christ. And we would like to assert that we have received these promises, and even though we struggle with faith in this life, we struggle with unbelief, we struggle with belief, we pray that from a Lutheran perspective that God will honor his promises to us and fulfill those promises despite our inability to hold up to them. So uh, I did a funeral a couple of weeks ago for an individual, and unfortunately I could not figure out whether he was baptized or not. And I could not figure out whether he really genuinely possessed faith which made this funeral exceptionally hard. And many pastors would probably uh, decline doing this type of a service because there's no comfort in knowing where this person might be. And so during the sermon, I made it very clear that the people listening, is this is the chance for you to repent and turn to Christ. This is a chance for you to say, I now believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I, and I made the demonstration and, the, and made the statement that we are praying God to have mercy on this sinner and to be unfair to him. Because we just don't know how that's going to look on the day of judgment. We, we see what scripture tells us, and we know that those who do not believe will be put into the line of the goats, and those who do believe will be put into the line of the sheep, and the sheep will have eternal life, and the goats will be thrown into the uh, eternal fire. So we know that, but we don't know the extent of the mercy that Christ will show and how those lines will be divvied up. So we have to keep that in mind. We do know what, you know, the end result will be, but we don't know how great the mercy that Christ will pour out upon people will be. And until we get to the day of judgment, when Christ shatters the skies open and sends his angels out into the world to retrieve the elect, and it's, you know, and then the day of judgment is set, we won't, we can only speculate at this stage. And so that's why I think it's really imperative for us to think about this concept of one saved, always saved. And, and really, instead of going to one extreme or another, we find middle ground with the view. And we say, well, yes, God holds on to the elect. He holds on to those who believe. But there will be people who will be used in the church. They'll, be, uh, they'll do good things. They'll help with missions. But they'll fall away. So we have to understand those two realities. And I think that helps us to be better, sound Christian. And I would even push this a little bit further to say this helps us with our evangelism. We, we you know, preach the gospel to a lost world. And in that preaching, we want the people to believe what it is that we believe. And if we go around and say, well, we, we can't be certain that God died for you, 
Um, but if you cry out to God enough, then uh, maybe he'll save you. In fact, there was a video it's making its rounds on Twitter right now uh, that a particular Reformed preacher, I'm not going to name names because it's not, I'm not, I don't want to get into the beef of it, but he made this statement in this sermon that he had a little girl come to him, and or a young girl, teenager probably, and she was distraught over salvation. She, she could not fathom or believe that God had saved her. And so this preacher tells her, well, go home and cry out to God until he saves you. And so really what it's doing is it's placing the emphasis of salvation upon our ability to cry out to God. It's placing the emphasis of salvation upon our works, our ability, and our feelings. And that leads us to just really terrible evangelism. To sit there and say, well, if you want to be a Christian, then you got to pray until you are 100% certain. Well, the problem is, is many people may not be 100% certain. And they may, they may come to church, they may partake in the sacraments, they may have been baptized, and they, they, they will say they believe in Jesus, but they struggle to live that out. So would we just put them on the chopping block and, and kick them out? I think that's a very foolish thing to do. But I also think it's foolish to tell somebody, just go home and, and, and cry out to God until he saves you. That is not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ died for you. In fact, you can go on Twitter and go to Undying Light Pod and you'll find my little thread that I wrote on it. And I, and I give a better demonstration of what should have been said to this little girl or this young girl, teenager probably. It, 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 it is a deep passion of mine that right theology is demonstrated from the pulpit. I understand we will have differences from a Lutheran perspective to the Reformed, to the Roman Catholic, to the Eastern Orthodox. I totally understand all of that. However, there are some things in Scripture that should be pushed, demonstrated, and held to by all parties of Christian faith. That is that Jesus Christ died for you, and he forgives you of your sins. Do you believe this? That right there is the most straightforward gospel presentation you can give. You can go back and argue, you know, God made Adam and Eve, and they were perfect, and they didn't sin, there was no death, all things were great and perfect, and then man falls away, man sins, man creates cosmic treason against God, and through the ages, God has continuously pursued man, and now he has done so in the ultimate fashion by sending us Jesus Christ to live and die for us. You could give the really nice, full demonstration of the gospel. But to just simply turn to somebody and say, Jesus Christ died for your sins. Do you believe this? That is the most to-the-point sermon presentation one can give. And I think we, we, again, like I said, get lost in the weeds of a parable like this. Because we want to try and use our presuppositionals or our talking points that we've been taught by other people on Instagram or Twitter or YouTube videos. And we want to assert that the text can't possibly mean what it means. Well, Jesus is telling us right here, here is the meaning of the parable. Anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. So here's the thing. Sown in the heart. Right out of the gate, this is the work of the preaching of the word. 
it goes into one's heart and it gets implanted there and it gets sewn there. This is what was sown along the path. So if the person comes to hear the gospel, that gospel is going to do its work, but they don't understand it. They can't comprehend it. Well, Paul tells us that preaching of the cross is foolish to, to the world. And so for those who think that this gospel is foolish or cannot understand it, cannot reconcile it, they will be snatched away by the evil one. We don't get any further demonstration of them. We don't know, you know, they, they haven't made a profession of faith. They never demonstrated faith. They just don't understand it. And therefore, they're turned over, turned over to the evil one. Verse 20, that which was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word immediately and receives it with joy. We've already talked about this. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a little while. But when tribulation and persecution arrive on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but cares for the world and the deceitfulness of riches of the world will choke the word and prove to be unfruitful. So this you know, third person here has heard the word and doesn't care for it. He wants the world and all of its glory to given to him. He could care less about the gospel. He wants the, the little treasures of the world. In fact, this is a sermon I'm going to be preaching on this Sunday, Laying Up Your Treasure in Heaven. And we'll actually look at what does it mean to be holding to this concept from a biblical perspective. Does it mean that we have a banking system in heaven where we have to go in and build our banking credits and all that jazz? No, absolutely not. That is ridiculous, foolish, prosperity, garbage. What it means is to, we, we will dig into that. I'm not going to give you any sneak peeks because we'll have that text when we get to it in this show. So, uh, stuff that I'm still contemplating, but I definitely will take this from a very biblical perspective, laying up your treasures in heaven. The final person is the Christian who hears this, the word, it's planted on good soil, and we understand it. This person is the one who produces all different types of yields, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So here's an interesting thing that we can argue with this particular one, too. We have faith, we've been given the promise, we understand the promise, we're rooted deep in God's word, and yet each of us will produce different types of fruit and different yields, different amounts. Some people will be will be on fire, missionary type people, they're going to go into the world, they're going to preach and preach and preach, and they're going to save people. They're going to bring people to Christ because that's just their charisma. You're going to have people who are in the church, uh, in the pulpits, and they will be preaching, and they'll do street preaching, and they'll witness to people. And then you have people who are a little more introverted. These people will believe in Jesus. They might share the gospel with family and friends, but they're not going to be actively preaching or witnessing on the streets. And so I think we, if we try to assert the kind of notion of fruit policing, uh, that seems to be pretty prevalent in Reformed faith. This, you know, they'll know know us by our works instead of know us by our love. They'll know you by your fruit, and then they'll say, well, what fruit are you demonstrating? And this is, uh, again, another rabbit hole, but it's a big thing for the, for the Baptist 
uh, movement to assert that you cannot be baptized until you have demonstrated your faith. Well, I like to argue, what about the person who can't speak? What about the person who can't uh, walk? What about the person who's paralyzed? What about the paraplegics? What about uh, the person who is mentally challenged and unable to you know, really cohesively give a proclamation of faith or witness to somebody? See, if we, if we sit here and we think about that, it becomes really a, a head-scratcher because we, we don't have an answer to it. And the Reformed would like to argue, well, if they're not making a public proclamation, I can't baptize them. And I think that gets really, that, that's, that's messy territory. You should baptize anybody willing to be baptized, whether it's an infant or a 99-year-old grandma. We are to baptize all people of all ages, no matter what they would demonstrate. But this doesn't give us free license to just go around, shoot people with a squirt gun and say, you're now baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is, you know, a, a built-out system from the early church that people who want to be baptized have been witnessed to. They come into the church and they receive the baptism that they are seeking. Whether they can make a wonderful public proclamation or not, they will be baptized. And so this is the preaching of the word. When we go out and, and preach the word and sow that seed and it falls upon good soil, those people will, can, will then pick up and do the very thing that we are doing. And they will be good Christians. They will endure until the end and they will die in faith and they will be raised in a resurrection like Christ on the day of judgment. Now, we don't know, again, as I mentioned earlier, what happens to the person who received the gospel of joy but wasn't rooted deep. We don't know what their eternal destination will be. Uh, that is between them and God. What we can assert is there will be people who rise up in the church. They will have faith. They will be saved, but they will walk away from it. And I know that may not jive with some of you, because especially in the Reformed circles, you don't like to hear that, because it goes against the perseverance of the saints, or preservation of the saints. It goes against, um, you know, the once saved, always saved notions. But again, as I said on the top of the show, this is not God kicking us out. This is not God, you know, pushing us aside and saying, you're no longer saved. This is us and our own ability to stop believing. We have stopped partaking in the sacraments. We've stopped going to church. We've stopped all of this voluntarily. So that is the sower of the seed, the parable explained. And uh, I think we hopefully have hammered out some of these kind of tough topics and hopefully shed some light on some things that maybe we, you as a listener, are struggling with. Me, personally, I know that there's going to be people in my church who are going to rise up, and they're going to do things, they're going to have faith for a while, and then they're going to fall away. That's normal in a church. And as a pastor, it breaks my heart to see people walk away from their faith. It breaks my heart to see people leave the faith. But I know deep down that I'm resting upon God's mercy that he will be unfair to those people. If God was fair to any person, we'd all have eternal hellfire, if God was fair. But he's thankfully not, and he demonstrates that in the finished work of Christ on the cross. 
Because if God was fair, he would make all of us atone for our sins. But he puts that on Christ and pours out his wrath upon him. That is such a beautiful promise to hold on to. So ladies and gentlemen, next week we'll look at the purpose of the parables and we'll talk a little bit about that before going to the parable of the weeds. Uh, depending on timelines, we might do both. We'll see what happens. Uh, but this is going to conclude our episode today. And I hope you, uh, you know, we're challenged a little bit in this thinking of how this ex uh, parable is explained. And I pray that it will be beneficial to you in the long run. It is Friday when this episode airs. And if you're listening to it before Sunday, get your butt into church. And I pray that you partake in the sacraments. And I pray that you will hear the word preached for the love of all that is holy. Go to a church that preaches the word faithfully. And, and I would even push this a little bit further. Not just a church that does it ex in an expository manner. That's great teaching. But go to a church that preaches in an expository law gospel distinction. Where they tell you what the text is saying and doing. And then they give you the law gospel. That is my recommendation to you. So that's that ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you have a great week. God bless. We'll see you all later. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.